Welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me. How you doing, Darcy? I'm doing pretty okay. Uh, I've got a pretty big paper that I need to get started on that's due next week. Oh. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't started writing yet, but I've got most of those references, so I, I think I'm in pretty good How many pages is it supposed to be? 20. That's not too bad. No, it's not that bad. But I'm really excited. It's going to be about um, investigating blunt force trauma. And wow, nice. I think I'm going to do like, and like using biomechanics, which is what I'm studying, using biomechanics to investigate blunt force trauma. And I think I'm going to pull in two pretty big cases. So I'm kind of excited about how it's going to lay out. Cool. Yeah. So we can use a little bit of that on the show. Yeah. 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 I think it's going to be pretty good. All right. Very exciting. There's a lot of really cool cases that we still haven't talked about that have some pretty significant blunt force trauma issues, Mm -hmm. including what do we have? The staircase case. The staircase is a big one. Which is one that we've been waiting on because we Mm -hmm. know it's going to take a lot of research and we're going to have to break it down like in a lot of detail. So we've kind of put that on the back burner because we've had so much other stuff going on. But We will get to that case eventually, and we're both pretty excited about it. Yeah, I'm really jazzed about that one. But today, um, we're going to start off. I found an article that I want to talk about before we get into the main stuff for the day. And I know we're all bombarded with the stay-at-home orders and coronavirus and all that kind of stuff. So I've been trying to find things to go with the podcast that are not coronavirus-related. So we all have something else we can talk about. But I found this really cool article on USA Today that is titled, Has NASA Discovered Another Earth? Perhaps. Um, The article was written by Doyle Rice, and it came out, I think, last week, but Evidently, astronomers have discovered a planet nearly the same size as Earth that orbits its own star in a habitable zone where liquid water could exist on the surface, Hmm. according to studies, right? So the presence of liquid water also indicates the planet could support life. This newly found world, called Kepler-1649c, is about 300 light years away from Earth and orbits a star that is one-fourth the size of our sun. Huh. And what's exciting about all of that is the 2,000-plus ectoplanets that have been discovered using observations from the Kepler Space Telescope. This world is most similar to Earth, though, out of all of those, and in both size and estimated temperature, according to NASA. An exoplanet is a planet that's outside of our solar system, just so you know. Um, I'm sure you probably already knew that. Um, This intriguing distant world gives us even greater hope that a second Earth lies among the stars waiting to be found. Interesting that they would say that. Although NASA said there are other exoplanets estimated to be closer to Earth in size and others may be closer to Earth in temperature, there is no one other exoplanet they've found yet that's closer to Earth in both both of these values that also lies in the habitable zone of the system. Hmm. This newly revealed world is about 1.06 times larger than our own planet. Also, the amount of starlight it receives from its host star is about 75% of the amount of light Earth receives from our sun. So its temperature would be very similar to our planet as well. Maybe a little colder, but... Yeah. Unlike Earth, though, it orbits a red dwarf. Though none have been observed in this system, this type of star is known for stellar flare-ups that may make a planet's environment challenging for any potential life. 
So super hot at times and then cold at times. Interesting. But scientists, yeah, right? Scientists discovered this planet when looking through old observations from the Kepler Space Telescope, which the agency retired in 2018. So although the mission ended in 2018 when it ran out of fuel, scientists are still making discoveries as they continue to examine the information that Kepler sent back to Earth, Hmm. which is super interesting. I had no idea that that was even a thing. But the more data that scientists get, the more signs they're seeing pointing to the notion that potentially there are Earth-sized exoplanets out there um, waiting to be discovered. With red dwarfs almost everywhere around our galaxy and these small, potentially habitable and rocky planets around them, the chance that one of them isn't too different from Earth looks a bit brighter, they said. And these new studies were just published, I believe, last week in the Astrophysical Journal letters. So interesting, right? That, yeah, that is really interesting. I'm interested to see. Would be super cool? Yeah. To it's find nice to hear Earth. something else other than COVID. Yeah, for real. Now, you have something, though, that is somewhat related to that um, for your topic of the day. And this was super interesting. And take it away, Dars. Yeah, so I'm just going to jump right into it. So in November of 2018, you all may remember this story, an American woman contacted the U.S. consulate in Chennai, India, and she reported that she believed her son had been murdered. Her son, John Allen Chow, had visited North Sentinel Island in the Indian Ocean and was believed to be attacked by tribesmen. And yeah, within, I that. Yeah, and within hours, the police initiated a missing persons report. And on November 21, authorities issued a press release that John had been killed on the island, quote, during a misplaced adventure in the highly restricted area while trying to interact with the uncontacted people who have a history of vigorous rejection toward outsiders. I like how they put it as a, a what is it, unplanned misadventure? Uh, during <laughs> a misplaced adventure, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a pretty crazy way to explain that. Yeah, so we're going to get into exactly what that misplaced adventure was. But first, I want to talk a little bit about what North Sentinel Island is. So... It is part of the Andaman Island chain, which is an 836 island archipelago in the Bay of Bengal between India, Myanmar, Thailand, and Indonesia. So that just kind of gives you an idea if you're looking at a map, that's kind of where these islands are. So these islands are incredibly remote and only 31 of them are actually inhabited. And within these, yeah, and within these, there are six indigenous tribes that live entirely separated from the rest of the world. And because of this isolation, very little is known about these tribes. And specifically, what is known about the Sentinelese is that they have a reputation for aggressive behavior toward anyone who lands on their island which makes them among the most isolated of all of these uncontacted tribes. So before we get into the story of John Allen Chow, I want to talk a little bit about what we do know about the Sentinelese. So in the late 1800s, around like 1880, a 19-year-old English aristocrat and amateur anthropologist named Maurice Vidal Portman was made the Royal Navy officer in charge of the Andaman Islands. And for 20 years, he attempted to study the indigenous tribes of the islands, and he would kidnap them 
and take oh them God. back to Port Blair, which is the capital city of the Andaman Islands. So, well, no wonder why they're hostile towards <laughs> oh, visitors. It gets, Good it lord, gets so much worse. So he was a believer in race science. So he believed that you could measure their intelligence by measuring the cr- their cranium with calipers, like literally measuring their cranium, and that is going to be related to intelligence. And he also, for some reason, unrelated to intelligence, measured the size of their genitals, and he took nude photographs of them. Ew. Okay. What a creep. Yeah. And he basically did not care if they lived or died during the course of his little experiments. And in his reports, he described these people as if they were like the local fauna of the island. He basically described them as animals. He said, they sickened rapidly and the old man and his wife died. So the four children were sent back to their home with quantities of presents. The expedition was not a success. We cannot be said to have done anything more than increase their general terror of and hostility to all comers. So this is like 1885 that he says this, okay? Oh my God. And the waters around North Sentinel Island are said to be pretty rough and there have been a few shipwrecks near the island. And in 1981, a cargo ship ran aground just off the island, and the captain sent a distress call asking for a drop of firearms because he could see about 50 armed islanders preparing boats to invade the ship. All right. So fortunately, the rough sea conditions did prevent the islanders from reaching the ship, and it was so windy that it did actually deflect their arrows. So the crew was able to be rescued. Okay. But they were shooting. They were coming from the island to the ship, and they were armed with arrows, right? Mm-hmm. So the Sentinelese then scoured the abandoned ship for iron, because that's how they make their weapons. So they took all the iron right. off of the shipwreck, right? And in 1974, National Geographic sent a film crew to the island with a team of anthropologists and armed police because they wanted to film a documentary. They landed on the beach, and they left gifts in the sand, including a toy car, they left some coconuts and a live pig. They also left a doll and aluminum cookware. Hmm. The Sentinelese then came out from the jungle and began shooting arrows at them. And they actually hit the director of the documentary in the thigh with one of their arrows. So they're very, very sharp. And they did find, like, they, they found, like, huts for housing with, like, thatched roofs. And they also found evidence of, like, machine works and stuff, okay? Mm-hmm. And obviously fire and things like that. Right. Um. But this expedition did lead to the first photograph of the Sentinelese people, and this was published in National Geographic magazine. Wow. So there's also some instances of friendly contact, though. So in 1991, an expedition resulted in the distribution of coconuts, and the Sentinelese actually did get on, like, the little dinghies that the group used to get from the ship to the island. So they actually got on the dinghies with them, Hmm. okay, in some instances. And they would, like, get close enough to where they could actually hand coconuts to the the Sentinelese people. Okay. But eventually the Indian government became concerned that there would be an influx of outsiders to the island as a result of these new friendly encounters. And India instituted a strict no-contact policy, except in cases of natural disaster or to protect them from poachers. So these... These islands are governed by India, okay? That they just don't go there, and it's illegal for anyone to go there. 
They also removed the photos of the 1991 expedition from public display, and use of those photos is now restricted by the Indian government. Hmm. And in 2006, there were two Indian fishermen that had been illegally harvesting crabs off the coast of the island, and their makeshift anchor failed, and they started drifting toward the island. But they ignored warnings from passing fishermen, and they continued to drift toward the shallow water near the island. And the Sentinelese did attack these fishermen with axes, and they actually put their bodies on bamboo stakes facing out toward the sea. It's kind of like a warning. Yeah. They did later bury the bodies, but an Indian Coast Guard helicopter was dispatched to recover the bodies, but they had to abandon the mission when they were attacked by the islanders. Wow. So these people don't want to be contacted. They are completely content living on the island, being insular, right? So that kind of brings us up to the incident in 2018, but let's talk a little bit about the background of John Allen Chow. So he was the youngest of three people, and there's actually kind of a connection for both of us here because he was born in Alabama in 1991, but he grew up in Vancouver, Washington. So it kind of covers both of us, right? right? So his father, Patrick, was Chinese, and he actually escaped to Hong Kong during the Chinese Cultural Revolution uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, and he immigrated to the United States in 1974. So he went on to become a psychiatrist, graduating from medical school at Oral Roberts University, which is an evangelical college in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm. Okay, and that kind of sets a base for what we're going to be talking about. While at Oral Roberts, he met his wife, Linda, who was a social work professor, and they got married in 1986. And Linda was very devout in her evangelical Christianity, but Patrick was kind of less so. He kind of, he had grown up in China, so he had a background of Confucianism, and then he was at this evangelical school, so he enjoyed kind of talking about how science and philosophy and religion can all kind of coexist, right? So, like I said, they had three kids. John was the youngest, and they frequently went camping, And John was particularly adventurous. So in high school, he went on a mission trip to Mexico to help build an orphanage. And the trip really stuck with them. So he would eventually decide that he he wanted to find, like, the ultimate mission trip. So, like, what's the ultimate mission I can take for Jesus kind of a thing. He began researching uncontacted tribes, which led him to the people of North Sentinel Island, because there's a lot of uncontacted tribes, but it's believed that the Sentinelese are probably the most isolated. So, like, to him, that represented the ultimate. Okay. Good Lord. Yeah. So he also began reading. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he also began reading books about missionaries who had died on missions, and he kind of saw them as, like, martyrs for the cause. Oh, God. So he also kept a journal, and he would detail his desire to evangelize to the Sentinelese people. And he he believed... What language do they speak there? Do they um, have their own language? They have their own language, yeah. And how does he think he's going to communicate with them? Like, are you that dumb? Yeah, I mean, like, you can go and, like, read about... we'll, We'll kind of get into it a little bit, but... He, he believed that the Sentinelese were damned to eternal fire if they never heard the gospel. 
and that given that John was so outdoorsy and adventurous, he was one of the few who actually had a chance of saving them. Oh my God. Because because they need to hear the story of Jesus in order to be saved. And he is one of the few people that can do it. Okay. Wow. The unmitigated, like, arrogance of this person. That's a theme for, like, this whole story. Just arrogance. Okay. All right. So he followed his parents and he went to Oral Roberts. And there he becomes even more immersed in the evangelical culture. All right. So students at Oral Roberts, if you're not familiar, this is a very, very religious school students there are I've heard about yeah, it yeah they are prohibited from smoking drinking swearing and any kind of sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage yeah this is like today these are still the rules right and, you know i'm not going to make any statements or judgments about that if that's how you choose to live your life then that's great but i have a feeling there's more <laughs> there's more so <laughs> while he was at college He continued to go on mission trips, going to Cape Town, South Africa. He went to Kurdistan, which if you're not familiar, Kurdistan is not actually a nation. It is a region in the Middle East. Um, They are primarily Christians in the Middle East, which often leads to persecution. But it is made up of... Wait, you just said they're primarily Christians in the Middle East. Which leads to... You mean Muslims? No, they are primarily Christian, which leads to a lot of persecution by Muslims. So the... The what did you call them? Kurdistan. Kars- so they're they're Kurds. The, the Kurds. The Kurds are primarily Christian. Yes. So that leads to okay, got it. Which is why right. he went on mission trips to Kurdistan. So it's it's okay. a region that's made up of parts of Syria, Iraq, Iran, and Turkey. Right. Okay, so then you have the Kurds versus the the Muslims, right? And kind of the religious okay. warfare of the Middle East, which frankly we just don't have time to get into today that's like 12 (laughs) other episodes but anyway (laughs) so um he also did take a mission trip to israel as well within this group so in 2015 and 16 he made four trips to the andaman islands where he interacted with the local christian community but he did not visit north sentinel island at that time this is just kind of part of his research Mm -hmm. and in 2017 he was accepted to a boot camp run by an organization called all nations a boot camp they call it a boot camp and they're based out of the military correct (laughs) but he's going to a boot camp correct so this is a group based out of kansas city that strives to see jesus worshiped by every tongue tribe and nation and the reason they call it a boot camp is because this group urges Christi- Christians to adopt a wartime mentality of evangelizing. So this is a great battle for Jesus. That, that's kind of their mentality. And apparently, one of the exercises at this boot camp simulates making your way through a mock village with missionaries pretending to be hostile natives using fake spears to attack trainees. Wow. Yeah, so that definitely doesn't sound racist at all. So in the same year that he went to this boot camp, he also attended a missionary language school. So this is kind of, my understanding is this is kind of how they train you to, you can't, I don't think you can learn these, the languages of these uncontacted tribes, but I think you can learn like communication methods, which would probably be similar to like the communication methods we use 
for people that have language disabilities like, like here sign language like, yeah or like pictures kind of a thing oh, is my kind just, of understanding it's just this this is not going to be good <laughs> i can is it, tell it is not gonna be good so at this missionary language school he told a friend that he made that he felt a burden to save the sentinelese people a burden a burden that was a, that was a quote mm. so in october of 2018 he travels on a tourist visa to port blair which again is the capital of the andaman islands and he stayed in what he called a safe house so just okay. again reinforcing this wartime mentality all right he assembled an initial contact response kit and this consisted of picture cards for communication like was like i was saying bandages dental forceps for removing arrows and gifts for the sentinelese okay okay so he also quarantined himself for 11 days hoping to lessen uh. the risk of accidentally inf- infecting the islanders why 11 days like that seems so random it was yeah it was random it obviously it wasn't based in any kind of epidemiological information i think it was partly to make sure he wasn't sick before he went partly to make sure nobody knew where he was because he knew very much that this was illegal Uh, okay so in Early November, he found a crew of local Christian fishermen who were willing to take him to North Sentinel Island for about 360 bucks. Okay. They also knew it was illegal. Mm. And on the night of November 14th, they set out for the island, avoiding the Coast Guard vessels that patrol the area. Because again, this is illegal. And his journals are available. From this time so his first journal entry on november 15th he says rendezvoused successfully last night with the friends meaning the fishermen currently on the boat waiting to make contact left around 2000 so he left around eight o'clock and arrived around 22:30. but as we went along the eastern shore we saw boat lights in the distance and turned around heading south and evading them so boat lights from people trying to keep them off the island from the Coast Guard patrolling. Okay, got it. Yeah, the Indian Coast Guard patrols this area because you're not supposed to go there. Jeez. Like, I just... Hello. I don't know how many times right? I say, How know. much more clear so, can we um, make it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all along the way, our boat was highlighted by bioluminescent plankton and as fish jumped nearby, we could see them darting like mermaids shimmering along. Oh, how poetic. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Just stay tuned. <laughs> the, the Milky Way was above and God himself was shielding us from the Coast Guard and Navy patrols. Wow. At 0430, we entered the cove on the western shore and as the sun began to light the east... Me and two of the guys jumped in the shallows and brought my two pelican cases and kayak onto the northern point of the cove. The dead coral is sharp, and I already got a slight scratch on my right leg. Now we see a Sentinel Islander house and are waiting for them to come out. We also saw three large fires on the eastern shore last night. Okay, so that's his first entry. Okay. So the fishermen refused to take him any closer. So on the morning of November 15th, he hopped in his kayak, and he paddled to the shore. Ugh. So from his second entry of November 15th, around 08.30, I tried initiating contact. I went back to the cached kayak and built it up, 
and then round to the boat and got two large fish, one barracuda, and one tuna. I put them on the kayak and began waving to the house we had seen. As I was about 400 yards out, I heard women looing and chattering. Then I spotted two dugout canoes with outriggers. I rowed past one, then saw movement on the shore. Two armed sentinelese came rushing out at me, yelling at me. They had two arrows each, unstrung until they got closer. I hollered, my name is John, I love you, and Jesus loves you. Oh my god. <laughs> Jesus Christ gave me authority to come to you. Oh my god. Then he goes on the fish. He says, I regret I began to panic slightly as I saw them string arrows in their bows. I picked up the tuna and threw it toward them. They kept coming. <laughs> I slid the barracuda off. It started to sink, but my thoughts were directed toward the fact I was almost in arrow range. I backpedaled. When they got the fish, I turned and paddled like I never have in my life back to the boat. I felt some fear, but mostly was disappointed they didn't accept me right away. Oh, my God. This guy. I can now say I've been nearly shot by the Sentinelese and I've walked and cached gear on their island. Now I'm resting in the boat and we'll try again later, leaving gifts on shore and in rocks. Lord, protect me and guide me. Wow. So he decided that he would make another make another attempt, this time without the fishing boat nearby. He thinks that it's the fishing boat keeping them from con- from accepting him. <laughs> what a he, moron. Somebody that he met. <laughs> somebody that he met. Um, well, sorry. Let me let me go to this. Let me read this this journal entry. So this is another one from that same day, the 15th. Well, I've been shot by the Sentinelese. After that initial contact, some of the guys went spearfishing and caught what they call a cuddala, a grouper or sea bass with big lips. They caught two and each weighed about 30 pounds. I built the kayak and we went and we put the two fish on top inside my small pelican. So this is like a pelican, like a, one of those waterproof cases. Okay. Okay, it's not like a pelican okay. bird. Um, so his case contained pencils, my contact response kit for arrow wounds, abdominal pads, chest seal, dental, force, dental forceps for arrow removal, picture cards, multivitamins, multi-tools, and unfortunately, my passports. Wow. I have my waterproof Bible and some gifts, scissors, tweezers, safety pins, fishing line, hooks, cordage, rubber tubing, and my new speedo towel. I set off toward the North Shore. As I got closer, I heard whoops and shouts from the hut. I made sure to stay out of arrow range, and they, and as they, about six of them, yelled at me, I tried to parrot their words back to them. Oh, my God. They burst out laughing, probably were saying bad words or insulting me. They dropped their two bows and took a dugout to meet me. I kept a safe distance and dropped off the fishing gifts. At first, they pulled their dugout past the gifts and were coming at me. Then they turned around and grabbed the gifts. I paddled after them and exchanged more yells. So, like, he had a a chance to go turn turn around here, okay? Wow. Here's where this nice meet and greet went south. This is still from his journal. Oh, this isn't a meet cute? What? It's not a a meet cute, yeah. (laughs) A child and a young woman came behind the two gift receivers with bows drawn. I kept waving my hands to say no bows, but they didn't get the memo, I guess. Oh, my God. I'm still reading from his journal, by the way. These are just, these are his words. By this time, the waves had picked up and the kayak was getting near some shallow coral. The islanders saw that and blocked my exit. Then the little kid with bow and arrow came down the middle. I figured that this was it. So I preached to him a bit. Starting in Genesis, 
and disembarked my kayak to show them that I, too, have two legs. What? He genuinely thought they didn't know that he was a human with two legs. Oh, my God. Because, again, arrogance. I am okay? so baffled by the idiocy of this guy. I was, un- I was inches from an unarmed guy and gave him a bunch of the scissors and gifts. Then they took the kayak. Then the little kid shot me with an arrow directly into my Bible, which I was holding in front of my chest. Wow. I grabbed the arrow's shaft as it broke on my Bible. The head was metal, thin, but very sharp. They left me alone as I half waded, half swam through the broken coil to the deep where I knew their dugouts couldn't reach, and then swam almost a mile back to the fishing boat. Although I now have no kayak, nor my small pelican and its contents, which again includes his passport, I'm grateful that I still have the written word of God. He ends this journal entry by saying, Lord, is this island Satan's last stronghold where none have even had a chance to hear your name? Wow. Okay. So at this point, he decides he's going to make another. This is when he decides he's going to make another trip without the um, fishing crew nearby because he has talked to another missionary who met another um, contacted tribe somewhere else and said that they saw me if they saw me alone i think that was the reason they didn't kill me basically he heard this from another missionary with another population right wow so on november 16th he wrote one last entry in his journal and it was a letter to his family okay november 16th 2018 Brian and Marilyn and mom and dad. You guys might think I'm crazy and all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to. And I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. Don't retrieve my body. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language, as Revelation 7, 9 through 10 states. I love you all, and I pray that, that I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Wow. Okay. Very last journal entry. Okay. He, he says, Woke up after a fairly restful sleep, heading to the island now. I hope this isn't my last note, but if it is, to God be the glory. I'm heading back to the hut I've been to, praying it goes well. Hmm. So, spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) The fishermen returned a day later to see a dead body being buried at the shore, and the silhouette and clothing appeared to be that of John Allen Chow. Okay. Hmm. Attempts to recover John's body were abandoned by Indian authorities after tense standoffs with the Sentinelese. Okay, so they did make multiple attempts to recover his body, but they had to abandon it because they were being attacked. So his death is officially listed as a murder, but U.S. authorities have stated they will not pursue charges. Duh. The five fishermen were also arrested, and I don't have any information on what happened with them or what they were charged with. I'm All right, glad. so survivor international which is an organization that advocates for uncontacted and isolated indigenous populations released the following statement after john allen chow's death 
They said, this tragedy should never have been allowed to happen. The Indian authorities should have been enforcing the protection of the Sentinelese and their island for the safety of both the tribe and outsiders. Instead, a few months ago, the authorities lifted one of the restrictions that had been protecting the Sentinelese tribe's island from foreign tourists, which sent exactly the wrong message and may have contributed to this terrible event. It's not impossible that the Sentinelese have just been infected by deadly pathogens to which they have no immunity, with the potential to wipe out the entire tribe. Oh my god. Uncontacted tribes must have their lands properly protected. They're the most vulnerable peoples on the planet. Whole populations are being wiped out by violence from outsiders who steal their land and resources, and by diseases like the flu and measles to which they have no resistance. So that's the story of John Allen Chow, and I wanted to talk about that because as we're experiencing this COVID-19, we are bored at home. You know, the, the most fortunate of us are still able to work from home and collect paychecks. But what happens is, the, as this is spreading, these uncontacted tribes are being threatened. I mean, they were already threatened before this happened, but before the COVID, you know, happened. But now, especially now, they're being threatened. All right. And so specifically, I pulled this article. It's from Huffington Post. And we'll post this article. Um, the novel coronavirus outbreak has intensified a decades long battle between indigenous tribes and evangelical Christian missionaries in the most remote regions of the Brazilian Amazon rainforest. As tribes warning of the virus's potential to cause their genocide have pushed to ban controversial religious groups from entering their lands. A Brazilian judge granted the tribe's wishes barring missionaries from entering the Javari Valley, which is a remote region along Brazil's border with Peru that is home to numerous indigenous tribes and at least 16 groups of isolated peoples. Wow. So the ruling specifically named three missionaries as well as New Tribes Mission of Brazil, a 67-year-old fundamentalist Christian organization that is affiliated with a larger evangelical group in the United States. This kind of thing, I want to talk about this because I understand it's going to sound like I am anti-religion. And I'm not. I'm not religious, but I have a problem with this kind of thing, with these kinds of missions. Because if you want to go somewhere in the world that is not as fortunate as America, right? And you want to do good works, but you also are part of a Christian outreach group, that's one thing. To assume that that people that don't practice your religion are wrong or that they're going to whatever your definition of hell is and that you're the only one that can save them I can't the arrogance of that is so infuriating and we're literally killing entire populations of people because we think that we're so much better and we're so much more advanced than they are it's just it's just really irritating yeah, but that's not even stuff. that's not even necessarily a religious thing nowadays. It seems like it's a we're a first world country, you're a third world country. You, there's no reason why you wouldn't want to be like us, so why wouldn't we try to help you? Kind of a thing. Yes, it's just so the, gross and arrogant the, and the just, basis ugh. of those trips, though, of of us saying why wouldn't you want to be like us? The basis for going on those trips are under some veil of evangelical christianity right like we're going there to preach to you 
the New Testament because you don't have it and therefore you're ignorant and doomed to hell. Like that's kind of like the baseline for so many of these trips. I don't want to get into a discussion about religion because I have very strong feelings about it. Um, and I don't want to alienate any mm-hmm. listeners per se. So I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. Like, I feel like it's not just a religious thing, that it's an arrogance of Western culture thing. Um, and it has been an arrogance of whatever dominant culture. The Greeks did it. The, uh, the Celtic people did it. The Spanish people did it. The British people. I mean, it is one of those things mm-hmm. that happens with people that have a dominant nation and feel like they have more money and more intelligence than a third world lesser country like India or certain countries in mm-hmm. Asia. And so they go and they colonize and they try to help the people, help the poor people and end up doing more damage than they need mm-hmm. to be doing. And they don't need to be there. I, I, it's just an arrogance of culture. And it has been repeated for centuries in the world i can agree with that i do agree with it like the colonization aspect of what you're talking about i do agree with so i look at it as a larger problem um that is worldwide and has been happening for centuries i i do agree with that um but i think in here yeah we use religion as a huge piece of it but I don't think that's it. I was going to say, I think that an, an inherent with Western culture is is Western religion. Yeah, but the Vi- the Vikings did it and they weren't Christians. Right, but I'm saying, so if we were going and preaching democracy, then I think you could make that argument a little bit better. But specifically with these stories that I'm talking about, um, these are not good works missions. What? These are evangelizing missions. And the, I mean, I grew up in an evangelical church. So like, I know what this is about. This is about, I'm right and you're wrong. And I know that this is kind of touchy um, for some people to hear. And I don't mean to sound like I'm bashing religion, I'm not. Um, the idea that there's only one way to do things. And I think that that's universal between cultures and religions and what you're talking about and what I'm talking about. The idea that there's only one way to do things. And if you're not doing it our way, then you are wrong is I think what we can both agree on. Right. But I think that, um, I think that the quote unquote consequences of the people that go. So like, Western culture, we want to save you, but what are the consequences if we don't reach you? Yeah, oh, absolutely. With an evangelical mission like what, like the story of John Allen Chow, he literally felt like the consequences where these entire groups of people are going to this hell that he has, you know, this, this definition of. But that is the evangelical movement, though. That's the whole thing. But that's not even based on... That's not even based on any kind of biblical, factual anything. Because according to what I... And I grew up in the evangelical church. But what we understood was that if peoples, tribes, countries, whatever, didn't have the opportunity, then God would give them the chance to choose when Judgment Day came. So, yeah, try... Try, try to speak to as many people as you can, but if there are tribes and people out there that don't have the ability or the opportunity to hear God's word, they will still be saved. That's, that's what I grew up with. 
yeah, that that was not the doctrine that I grew up in. And I think that I didn't grow up too far from the Oral Roberts University. You also were like Southern Christianity. That's a different yes. thing than Northern Christianity Entirely. in many, many ways. Yeah. So Entirely. And and the the doctrine of the church, you know, that I grew up in was if you don't do this our way it's wrong and you're condemned to hell and there is no opportunity for circumstantial it's interesting defense well we didn't you know we didn't have church we it was no our job as evangelicals was to go to these places and give them that to bring this bring that bring church to them it wasn't good works missions i'm not talking at all about good works missions i'm on board with that and if part of your good works missions and they say all christianity is the same <laughs> it's not it's not <laughs> it is not it is not and if 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 you if you're on a goodwill a good works mission and you're a part of a church and part of that is you build an orphanage or you build a, a school for somebody that doesn't have those resources and then part of that is hey you brought church to them you're allowing them still to make that choice you're not invading their area and telling them that there's one way to do things that's yeah. to me the difference with all of this yeah. and that's the issue i have with and, it uh, you know and the fact that it's that the arrogance of thinking that oh i'm going to isolate myself for 11 days and there is a you know there is a background information that he did get some vaccines but he already had growing up in America. He already had immunities to things, so he could be carrying things that that he yeah. didn't need to get vaccinated for. He could have taken that to those 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 tribes, and we don't actually even know how many Sentinelese people exist anymore. I mean, they be, they think it's under it's fewer than two hundred people. Yeah. You know, sometimes it could be. I mean, you know, some estimates say as low as fifty. So him going and saying, I'm going to isolate myself for 11 days, um, I have my Bible, and that's enough, the arrogance of that. He could have wiped out the whole rest of the, that tribe of people. He could have wiped out an entire population of people because he thought he was the Forever. one that could save them. Forever. Done. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that's the issue I have with this story and with the current stories with COVID and the tribes, I just, that's recognizing that there's more than one way to do things and you're not the only one that's right is I think one of the biggest steps that we can take, like as well, a people. I mean, I really do think that there is pervasively an opinion out there right now that there is only one way to deal with this. There is no option. There is one way and that's but what it's it, so, Yeah, but that's, that's scientifically based. That's what the government based. is telling us. So that's, that, well, the government, what the government's telling you and what science are telling you are sometimes two different things but what's coming from the cdc and the national institute of health and the infectious disease people is all based in science that's scientifically based that's not culture based that's not religion based yeah but you've got some right? one doctor out here telling you one thing you got another doctor out here telling you another thing you've got people telling you 10 different things you have to be judicious with how you consume information so if your information base, I'm not, when I say you, I mean the general right, you. I'm not talking right. about you, Sarah. If your information base is Dr. Phil saying that more people die from drowning in swimming pools, which he actually did say, um, then this thing, that's, you need to reevaluate how you're taking in your information. Um, 
if you are listening to Dr. Fauci or one of the people who works for the Institute of Health who either is an MD or has a PhD in epidemiology or studies infectious diseases, that's you need to be getting your information from because their information and the things that they are saying has not changed. Now, how you get that information is one thing. Right. And then you also need to like couple that with a good solid dose yes. of common sense. Just because they tell you, hey, this is scary, this is this, does not mean you need to run out and panic shop and buy 300 rolls of toilet paper. So you see how those two things go hand in hand? Common sense and right. a little bit of educating right. yourself be, can go be a judicious, long way. Be, ooh, be judicious about how you consume information. Um, maybe don't take advice from a TV doctor, Phil or Oz. And maybe don't take all your advice from or Yahoo Twitter either. Or Facebook. Like, Get like a wide variety of sources, educate yourself, and don't just run with one article. Yes. CDC is a primary source material. Their website is um, a primary source material. Johns Hopkins is doing very good, very good research on this as well. Um, all of those things are going to be peer-reviewed, and they're going to okay. be based in scientific information. But anyway, that was that's a little bit that's enough about that. That was that was in our COVID corner. <laughs> yeah, the mandatory COVID corner we have to do every episode. Now. <gasps> right? Yeah. Seriously, um, are we wrapping it up? Uh, yeah, that's all I had. Unless you just want me to rant okay. more about. <laughs> no, um, no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> rant, rant over. Yeah. Done. All right. Well, in that case, let's just go ahead and wrap the episode up. Um, we would ask that you guys will go re uh, rate, review, and subscribe. That's super helpful for us. It helps keep us up in the ratings, helps people find us easier, and helps us be potentially in a better position to someday get sponsorship, which is our ultimate goal. Yay. In any case, right, um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can certainly shoot us an email if you've got some strong opinions about religion, about politics, about any of that stuff, we'd be more than happy yes, to if you want to yell talk at me. about it. Right. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com and our social media. We're at the BFD podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So you can also yell at me there. So please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe. Keep it real and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>